Chelsea Fairless. And, you know, some weeks there's not enough pop culture stuff to talk about. So we decide to discuss an old Sex in the City episode. But haven't you been watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial like obsessively? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> By the way, I'm still team no one. I think they're both mutually abusive and idiots. My position hasn't <laughs> changed since before this trial started. I love that Lauren confided in me yesterday <laughs> that she's actually had to use like blockers or what is it? What are those called? The app is called Freedom and you can put, you can either block the entire internet, but I block certain distracting websites, you know, everything from Birdie to YouTube to Trulia, just any, anything that I might do instead of writing. And you had to block Amber and Johnny. Well, no, I blocked YouTube so that I couldn't watch it live (laughs) i couldn't watch my favorite youtube lawyer emily b baker live discuss the trial because you can't you can't watch that trial dry okay it is excruciating you know svu has broken our brains or any kind of law show has broken our brains to make trials seem interesting right they're as interesting as doing your taxes in reality. Then why are you watching this like all day to the <laughs> point where? <laughs> because this lawyer discusses why certain people are doing certain things. She'll be like, oh, that was a good objection. Or actually, I'd object to that objection. This is why they're saying hearsay. This is why they're saying no foundation. Did she address why Amber Heard like did that weird thing with the tissue? <laughs> No, you have to go to darker places on Twitter and Reddit to find conspiracy theories about what Amber was doing with the with the Kleenex. All right. But I did learn from Amber that the way that you cover up a bruise is, of course, we know you put foundation. Okay. Then you put concealer and then you put your bruise kit over it. I mean, what do you mean your bruise kit? Yes. Well, then she quickly went. (laughs) What is this something they sell at Sephora now? She quickly went, I mean, you know, that that thing, like a theater arts um, makeup kit, you know, like a color corrector. Oh, like stage makeup. So she's contouring. I don't even know what she's referring to. If she's referring to color correction, which you would put underneath. Any of us who've had a pimple knows that green shade. You put that over the red. So you think she's lying because she's using improper makeup techniques. I don't know what she's doing at this point. It's just so confounding. (sighs) Okay, we have to stop talking about this dark ass shit that you're obsessed with and start talking about Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick's Hollywood Reporter article. The New York issue. I have to say, this was a, a much lighter piece than the Hollywood Reporter article about Chris Noth's crimes. Uh, but you knew that they were going to have to ask her about Chris Noth? Noth. Uh, who knows? <laughs> At this point, who cares? He's not going to be on our TVs anytime soon. But I did notice he's posting to Instagram again. Oh, is he? Yeah. Well, he doesn't just like cease to exist because he's been canceled. To which, she, what, what does she have to say? Nothing. Yeah, she gave kind of a non-answer where she basically said, I haven't talked to him since it happened, which seems a little weird, but whatever. 
I think SJP is kind of genius because she's figured out how to give answers to journalists where you literally can't like take anything out and make it clickbait. She's very good that way. Like she says a lot of words, but there's like nothing that could be like a headline. It's pretty crazy. So the question was, as in just like that premiere, two women publicly accused your co-star Chris Noth of sexual misconduct, allegations that he denies. As a producer, what was your reaction? To which she answers, I don't even know if I'm ready to talk about it, but I don't think dot dot dot. I wasn't reacting as a producer. I should have worked on this because I'm just dot, dot, dot. It's just dot, dot, dot. When she says I should have worked on this, does she mean like I should have prepared an answer because obviously someone was going to ask me about this at some point? But the reporter doesn't push her on it. No. He just asks, have you spoken to him since, Parker? No. And that was the end of it. And just like that returns to a bustling fantasy of New York. How challenging was it to portray the city that way amid the pandemic? You think you would do the pandemic question first and then go into Chris Noth? Yeah, you build to Chris Noth. It really does come out of nowhere. It did feel a bit random. Although, of course, she should have anticipated it. But what a wonderful way to give a non-answer answer. Yeah, She also had a non-answer to a very weirdly worded question about and just like that's wokeness. It was kind of like, what was your thought process behind this? And she was basically like, well, I didn't write it. So way to throw daddy MPK (laughs) under the bus. I did feel bad, though, because at one point in this interview, she says, I'm rarely on social media. I'm on Instagram and I have a very conflicted relationship with it. And that made me think that she's just reading the comments on our posts and it's making her feel shitty, (laughs) which sucks. (laughs) I think she had that feeling about social media before the show started. I don't think the show helped. No. But she also said, we basically don't care what people are saying about and just like that on social media. And we're absolutely not taking what they're saying into account in the writer's room. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't doubt that. (laughs) Anyway, that was kind of it. It wasn't that tea filled. It was not like Kim Cattrall's variety interview of last week. But what is? Speaking of building, we we should have had the Sarah Jessica Parker cover first and then the Kim Cattrall cover. Also, we should know that this interview was promotion for Plaza Suite. Of which neither of them were nominated for Tony's. Yes. I thought it was interesting that they have never left the West Village and that Matthew Broderick has never lived more north than 11th Street. It's pretty cool. I was also interested to learn that I guess people are annoyed about Plaza Suite because it has some outdated sexual politics that just like don't really gel with like 2022 post Me Too vibes. Because they are theater people, they seem like they are uh, committed to the text. She basically said no one has a problem putting on Shakespeare, even though that's outdated in a lot of ways. And it made me think about this episode of Sex (laughs) in the City that we're discussing today. But before we get into that, should we acknowledge (laughs) a call that we got? Yes, I guess I stand corrected. We have more than one Christian listener. 
Hey guy, Christian Pastor here who listens to your podcast and um thought you might want to know that covered in the blood of Jesus is a popular um thing to say in prayers in charismatic traditions and a lot of black churches. So maybe Sunday service influenced that line in the prayer of in the Kardashians. Have a good one. Love the pod. Bye. Thank you so much to all the Christians that have called in. I really loved listening to your voicemails. Praise Jesus. Are you their leader now, Chelsea? I'm not their leader, but I love that a spiritual leader, this pastor, called into the hotline. Just because you're spiritually bankrupt doesn't mean that all of our listeners are as well. That's true. I was projecting too much. I mean, we got a bunch of calls and a bunch of DMs from Christians. Yeah. Who love to be covered in the blood of Christ, apparently. I love that that caller was like, yeah, Chloe probably stole that from Sunday service. <laughs> that probably went in through osmosis. We haven't said, but if you've clicked on this episode, you know that we are doing Boy Girl, Boy Girl. That would be the bisexual episode from season three. Yeah, the last time we did a Sex in the City episode, we asked you guys to call in and DM us and... Tell us what you thought the worst episode of Sex in the City is. And we picked this one, but upon revisiting it, I'm like, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's very politically incorrect, but we'll get into that. It's written by our love, Jenny Bix, so we can't go too hard on it. No. Look, bisexuals had it rough in the 90s. They had basic instinct, and then they had this episode of Sex in the City. That's uh, very true. The episode begins with a montage of people that are not the characters in the show, and for a second I got worried and thought they would just start talking to camera, but then I realized it stopped the season before. Right. And you watch this montage, and then there's a Carrie voiceover about how New Yorkers have seen everything, including fully naked waitresses? That was weird because that doesn't connect into Charlotte's gallery opening. It seems like a bar that Samantha would have done the PR for or something. I mean, have you ever seen a naked waiter? Not someone who was actually a waiter. Maybe someone who thought they were a waiter. <laughs> I get it. New York is an eccentric city, but I'm pretty sure there's like health department guidelines that preclude like fully naked servers from giving you food. It escalates quite rapidly because it's like, you know, a woman with a baby and a baby bijorn and then a woman with a dog and a baby bijorn. And then it's like naked waitress. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Because do we even need this montage? We could have just opened with uh, Bear Johnson's Drag Kings opening. Yeah, Charlotte has a hot new show at her gallery. Gallerist Charlotte is the best Charlotte. Truly. When I first saw this, I just assumed this body of work was inspired by Catherine Opie's photography because she took all those very classical portraits of like, queer people and trans people and drag performers in the 90s. But I looked into it and the photos in this exhibition are actually by Del LaGrace Volcano, who is queer and I believe a trans guy, which makes sense because no straight man would ever give a shit about drag kings. Like, that's just not a thing. I'd be interested to know what was going on culturally in the year 2000, where girls dressing like men is so in right now. Like, what was in the zeitgeist, or was it just under the banner of, like, new millennium, everything's wild? 
Well, the height of what you would call lesbian chic was in the mid 90s, was in like 1994, 1995. That was the peak of that. So that had already been around. By the 2000s, that was like an old trend, you know? The lesbian chic and the straight women smoking cigars. <laughs> That, there was overlap there. That overlap was great. It's like the overlap between the poster for the first Wives Club and like Demi Moore on the cover of Cigar Aficionado. Like that vibe. Do we need to expand our magazine collection and start collecting those mid-90s cigar aficionados with women smoking <laughs> cigars? Because it's like, definitely there was one with Sharon Stone, Demi uh-huh. Moore, like Selma Hayek. Sharon Stone was the ultimate <laughs> like girl smoking a cigar in the 90s. Isn't it weird that Sharon Stone never ended up in Sex and the City? It is weird. Samantha's sister? God forbid we show any family in this show. Anyway, there's a lot of, you know, daddy MPK puns, even though Jenny Bix wrote this. John Wayne is a Jane. Carrie says that because Stanford's like, I've always had a thing for cowboys, and Carrie just can't let him crush out on some random dyke for like two seconds without reminding him that it's actually a woman. To which he's fine. He's like, maybe I'm a lesbian, whatever. One thing that I'm disturbed by that Stanford says in this scene is that when you're gay, everyone can wear everyone's underwear. (laughs) And it's like, incorrect. (laughs) Well, also, Samantha's like, I've never worn guys' underwear. And I'm like, has this not happened yet? But definitely when she dates that wrestling coach guy who wants to talk like a baby or something, she is definitely in tidy whities wrestling him. Totally. Like, I don't want to wear Tat's Supreme Boxer Briefs. <laughs> Absolutely not. So the the artist, Baird? Yeah. Bear or Baird? I don't fucking know. Anyway, it's played by Donovan Leach. Yes. The son of the folk singer Donovan, brother of Ioni Sky from Say Anything, and husband at the time of 90s air girl model Christy Hume. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. They were a real power couple. And Miranda's like, what inspired you to create this fabulous body of work? And he's like, I think we all have dual powers within us, you know? <laughs> Men are kind of feminine and women are kind of masculine. And gender is really just an illusion. It's just quite ahead of its time. I yeah, mean... <laughs> but said no cis straight man ever. ever. <laughs> so Miranda goes home and Steve is there, not sexy. This man has invaded her living space. Oh, wow. I had the opposite read. I was like, that's so lovely to go out with your girlfriend and then come home and you have Chinese food waiting for you. It's true. I think Miranda did react a little strongly, especially because Steve... He he has her keys. It's not like he broke in. Well, also, he has a hard out at 10 because he has to go work at the bar. It's not like he's going to be there all weekend drinking beer and watching basketball. It also sort of icked me out with Carrie's voiceover, which was Miranda loved the man inside her, just didn't like him inside her apartment all the time. Oh, I loved that. (laughs) I thought that was great. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of questions in particular of this episode vis-a-vis Carrie's voiceover. And is it the actual article she's writing for the week? But we can get into that in a second. See, this is the article that would get her retroactively canceled in the end just like that universe. Do you want to get into this now? Because I have a lot of thoughts with Che Diaz, especially in the first episode of And Just Like That, when Che Diaz is like, you're the OG, man. You're the OG sex columnist. It's like, Che, did you read Carrie's articles? I think we can get a little more into that later. But first, shall we discuss Carrie's third date with 
the young guy he's only 26 but Miranda says his generation has a whole different letter than ours and I was like what does that mean because I figured out he's born in 1974 he's clearly Gen X but I think this was the time that Gen X thought that they would bifurcate their generation quicker than they were. Remember that conversation of like Gen X versus Gen Y before we figured out it was going to be called millennials? Totally, totally. This is a nightmare date for me, truly, because they're ice skating and they're drinking Jim Beam out of a flask, which is like two things I would rather not do ever. For those who are also friends, fanatics, as I am, this is played by the actor Eddie Cahill, who would play Rachel's assistant at Ralph Lauren that she gets in a relationship with. Oh, yeah. And then he comes out to her as bisexual. (laughs) Well, I love the detail that they met at a downtown party celebrating an internet magazine that he was running and that she still couldn't find on her computer. Oh, I totally missed that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how he comes out to her. He goes, so Carrie, when was your last serious relationship? I thought we were going to have sex. Why Like, why are we getting... Well, it's a third date question. It's not a first date question. But he says, I'm a bisexual. Is that a problem? Which I agree with Carrie. I'm like, what am I supposed to say to that? You say, no, it's not a problem. Like a true bisexual ally. And then the next morning, Carrie is telling her friends that she's now dating a bisexual. And she said that she didn't have a problem with it, even though she clearly does have a problem with it. And I love how Samantha is like, I could have told you he was bisexual. He took you ice skating. Yeah, again, this episode is quite icky and biphobic, naturally, but there are some banger lines. Yeah, there really, really are. And we need to uh, respect them. Well, Carrie goes, what's weird is he was so open about it. It's like, yeah, it's the year 2000. He's a bisexual New Yorker. Like, it's cool. And then Carrie's like, I did this already. Like, I dated bisexual men in college. They all ended up with men. It's like, how many bi guys have you dated? Yeah, they make this note that they all went to med, so did the women, to which Charlotte goes, which is why there are no available men for us. I love how Charlotte always has to bring it back, too. It's like, yeah, bi people, that's the reason why there are no available men in this city. It's crazy. Well... There's a lot of weird statements in this scene, in this episode. At one point, I think it's Carrie who says, when did the sexes get all confused? And it's like, why? Because one gender wants to date both genders? I think in this episode, there's a real lack of distinction between sexuality and gender identity. Like they think that bisexuality is a reversal of traditional gender roles or something. So like nothing really makes sense. Well, yeah, they're progressive enough that they're like, gay people, lesbians, fine. Yeah. You're either straight or you're gay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, to- and bisexuality is a layover on the way to gay town, as, as Carrie said. But look, problematic line. Funny line, though. Very funny line. Also, two things can be true, right? Like bisexuality is, of course, a very real sexual orientation. It is not a phase. But there are also a lot of young people that are discovering their sexuality that identify as bi and then later change their tune. Like, I identified as bisexual in the year 2000. Also, it was a layover on the way to gay town, (laughs) but it sucks that it's bisexual posers like me that are the reason why people don't consider it to be a real orientation. 
Now, is that indeed right next to Ricky Martinville? (laughs) (sighs) That was also funny. It was funny, but Jenny Bix here acting like a Perez Hilton outing Ricky Martin. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about Samantha is that she's like, this sounds great. Like, she thinks that Mark is, that's his name, right? Uh Uh-oh. No. His name is, his name is Sean. Sounds like a bisexual name. I was going to say a very unbisexual name. Well, yeah, this is the episode that gives us the infamous Samantha line, I'm a trisexual, I'll try anything once. Yeah, Samantha's totally into it. She likes the fact that he's open to different sexual experiences. And it would have been really nice to have this perspective in the Che Diaz discourse. Charlotte does prove to be correct in that and just like that episode when she looks at Miranda and goes, you're not progressive enough. Let me pull up this episode. I don't know why all our conversations were filmed, but from a, something called Boy Girl, Boy Girl. Charlotte, who's like, I'm very into labels. Gay, straight, pick a side and stay there. And Chris Rock has really great stand-up about this, I think, in Bigger and Blacker, where he's like, whatever you hate shows up in your family. <laughs> like, if you hate gay people, you have a gay child. And I think Rock might be the universe's oh. revenge for Charlotte's <laughs> obsession with labels. Wow. <laughs> Just saying. I'm sure that's the exact forethought they they put into this. When crafting the rock character for in just like that. Look, this conversation is offensive, of course, but in the real world, this group of like straight cis women would not be like woke bisexual allies in the year 2000. It's just not where culture was at at the time. So much so that Carrie has to ponder, was sexual flipping the wave of the future? <laughs> oh yeah, the I couldn't help but wonder is... Was Sean's generation onto something? Was sexual flipping the wave of the future? And if it was, could I play the game or was I over the hill? If women can transform into men and men can become women and we can choose to sleep with everyone, then maybe gender doesn't even exist anymore? If we can take the best of the other sex and make it our own, has the opposite sex become obsolete? Okay. <laughs> so, so many things. The one woke thing I will say is Carrie's discovery of maybe gender doesn't even exist anymore, which is, like, true. Well... Gender is a construct. I think it's untrue. Even though so many people identify outside of the gender binary, I feel like there's never been a time in history where gender is discussed more. Like, the 90s was all about, like, fuck labels, we don't want labels, and now it's all about labels, which has upsides and downsides. Oh, you feel that gender does exist because we discuss it so much. Yeah, gender is like everywhere now. But I do think she's right about sexual flipping being the wave of the future because, yeah, I think a lot more people are queer now. We don't use that phrasage then, but... We don't use the phrase sexual flipping (laughs) ever, but... I'm going to start like the HGTV show flipper flop, sexual flipper flop. That's what I'm going to start going by now. (laughs) Has the opposite sex become obsolete though? No, men are fucking everywhere. Yeah, this is where the like the theme of the episode that touches each of the characters gets confused with Carrie's own storyline that she then has to write into an article 
Because what the fuck does, if you can take the best of the other sex and make it our own, has the opposite sex become obsolete, have to do with her dating a bisexual? (laughs) Again, it's this misconception that bisexuals are just gender nonconforming inherently. That gender and sexual preference are intertwined. Right. I'm sorry, Che Diaz. You wanted Carrie because she was the OG rock star of sexual writing. This never came up once. I'm sorry. In the world, in the parallel universe that Carrie Bradshaw exists in, there's no New York The Cut article going through all of Carrie's old articles. If not a New York magazine, but like first it starts as a medium article and then it gets picked up and then it goes to Vanity Fair. What it would actually be, Lauren, is a tweet. (laughs) A tweet of a line from an article. Right. And then that becomes a thing on Twitter and then there's more resources put into like contextualizing it. As we learned from Sarah Jessica Parker, they're not listening to any of us in the writer's room. But like, come on, guys, you're telling me you don't want this storyline? If and just like that is hell bent on being extremely socially conscious, this does seem like an organic entry point into that that also feels authentic to the characters and their histories. You could then also answer such a fun question that we discuss all the time, which I guess is a little bit answered in the movie in the opening when they show the montage where it does seem like she does fully talk about her friends in these articles. <laughs> yeah. That it then pulls in Charlotte where it's like, you know, Rock's like, Mom, did you really say pick a side? <laughs> yeah. We need to ask Candace about this whenever we have her on because it's like, were your friends ever pissed at you about this? Yeah. I'd really like to know. Yeah, where is the real skipper? Now we're back in the gallery with Char. Char wearing the Prada lipstick skirt. And this was the first appearance of the Prada lipstick skirt because she wore it again in the scene where she first met Trey when she fell in front of the cab. Right, which can get lost because it comes at the tail end of an episode, a couple episodes from now. But when we interviewed Kristen a few years ago, she told us the story of the skirt, that she had seen that Prada lipstick skirt in a magazine and said to Patricia Field, that has to be the skirt that Charlotte meets Trey in. And and Patricia Field was like, we can't get it. You need three. You're going to ruin it because you got to fall. She's like, I won't. I won't. And you know what, guys? She didn't. And she came to our Q&A wearing that skirt. We didn't even ask her. She's just that amazing. She's a legend. And I will say this episode is great for Charlotte. Like, to me, this is a great Charlotte episode. I really love her journey in this. So basically, Donathan Leach, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so... Uh, Bear? Bear is like, I want to do a portrait of you. And she's like, I'm not a man. I'm really bad at math, and I can't change a tire. (laughs) So fucked. Um, I did notice that throughout season three and four, Charlotte's in crosses a lot. She wears a lot of crucifixes. Yeah. This is also clear in a scene, I think in season four, where she admits that her and Trey do analingus on each other. Yeah. And she's wearing a headband and a crucifix, I always remember. Yeah, I love that. So Samantha's storyline... It's weird. We usually get an underserved Charlotte storyline and a juicy Samantha storyline, but we have Samantha is just an undercurrent in this episode. And and her plot line is she gets a male assistant. Yeah. Who looks like all the other guys that she has sex with. 
and looks like no PR assistant ever. He kind of looks like the guy at the end of the Sex and the City opening credits in the uh, like fishnet shirts. <laughs> yeah, totally that vibe. But he's bad at his job. He's rude and abrasive to Samantha's clients. I guess ostensibly the theme of this episode is like men and how we are men or how do we need men who also want men. I guess for Carrie and Samantha is she's such an alpha. How can she have anyone that is or how can she be with someone who is also an alpha? Right. So we've got a a fourth date where Carrie is at a club, very reminiscent of season one with Timothy Oliphant, where she goes to the 20-something-year-old club. Yeah, and she says something to the effect of, like, he was so cute, or he was such a good kisser that I almost forgot about his lack of orientation. And then she becomes paranoid when he's looking for the bathroom, and she goes, hey, mister, who are you checking out, the guy or the girl? And he's like, uh, I was looking for the bathroom. I realized, Chelsea, that this film is like the reverse of Chasing Amy. Instead of a guy who desperately wants a lesbian, which really that film is about a woman who's a bisexual, as we know. Another terrible (laughs) thing that happened to bisexuals in the 90s. Yeah. In media, this was a really weird time, right? Because you have Chasing Amy and then what was the... There was a rom-com with Nev Campbell, Dylan McDermott... And Matthew Perry called Three to Tango, Mm. where Matthew Perry's in love with Nev Campbell, who's having an affair with Dylan McDermott, who wants Matthew Perry to spy on Nev Campbell. And Nev Campbell somehow tells Dylan McDermott that Matthew Perry's gay. (laughs) Okay, I need to watch that. I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, you know, as a Matthew Perry head, I unfortunately have watched them all. I think in the 90s, there was a lot of movies that really conflated, like, they got bisexuality and polyamory, like, mixed into, like, a single thing, you know? Which, yeah, there's obviously a lot of bi-poly people in the world, but just because you're bisexual doesn't necessarily mean that you're poly. And I definitely got poly vibes from the bisexual party, but anyway, we'll get into that that. later. Well, also, it was a lot of, it was a time where a lot of Miramax films were trying to pretend to be Greg Araki films. It's like, no, only Greg Araki can do this. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want it from anyone else. I really don't. Come back, Greg, please. I was wondering how you felt because Sean uses the line, it's not about the sex, it's about the person after he's bedded (laughs) Carrie, which you have very particular feelings about people who say this. We've gone into this on the pod before. I don't want to repeat myself. But yeah, I feel like it is a little condescending. I was also horrified that he's like, I dig you, Carrie. You're groovy. It's like, what is this world where like (laughs) Gen X bisexuals talk like baby boomers? Really, Carrie should have stopped dating him just because she got the ick from the way he talked. Yeah. But that's another 90s thing of like, we're all talking like, uh, because we're latchkey kids that watch too much of the Brady Bunch because our parents were gone. Yeah. So we ironically say things are groovy. Miranda is horrified because Steve is leaving piles of his grimy hoodies and cargo shorts in her apartment, which, yeah, I understand. But she won't give him a drawer, so what choice does he have? I didn't realize how much this episode is a precursor for and just like that. Because so much of Miranda's annoyance, or seemingly how it's conveyed to the audience with Steve, is stuff that, as you pointed out, has existed since the beginning. Yeah. She doesn't like this man. 
She doesn't like this man in her home. I dare say, would their marriage have survived if they had a Tim Burton, Helena Bottom Carter situation where they just had townhouses that were attached by a door? Yeah, or like a Woody Allen, Mia Farrow situation. Oh, fuck. There was a line in Sex in the City when Carrie Oh, wants- yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> when Carrie wants to move in with Big or something. Why can't we be like a... There's so many Woody Allen references in Sex in the City. I mean, there's one in every single episode because of the opening credits, which reference the Woody Allen thing, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, but were too afraid to ask. Oh, yes, correct. Miranda wakes Steve up in the middle of the night because he's sleeping on her side. Just fair. And then she picks a fight and he leaves because he says, well, why don't we move in together? And this is Miranda's literal nightmare. She makes him leave. She says she feels like she's being suffocated, to which Steve goes, God, it's like you're the guy sometimes. (laughs) It's like, yeah, have you met Miranda? (laughs) But to say that sometimes it's like you're the guy is putting gendered roles on the idea of whoever is less invested, less emotionally available, must be the guy of the relationship. Right. So Miranda, of course, spirals and forces Carrie to take an inner goddess workout with her at the Chelsea Piers. I can't imagine Miranda instigating this. Like, I can imagine Charlotte dragging her there or Carrie dragging her there, but the idea that this was her idea just seems a little bizarre. I feel like this is mutually our nightmare is just some like hippie-ish woman telling us to to pop our hips. Yeah, totally. They stop this eventually, but the girls trying new trendy workouts is my favorite thing. (laughs) It is funny. I think the last time they do this is the following season when Carrie wants to get back together with Aiden and confides with Charlotte while they're doing an African tribal dancing class? What about that episode where Charlotte is like tap dancing for exercise? (laughs) Oh, and she has no one to tap with. Yeah, this is the the divorce time. Carrie does trapeze in the 60s. Yeah, they're doing... (laughs) Yeah, we really do need to interrogate this more. Why won't they stop doing these fad (laughs) workouts? Especially Miranda, who, as we discussed in our book, would just be like straight up calisthenics, cardio, nothing crazy. Miranda's shown to go to the gym. I believe Carrie does the trapeze class for an article, which makes sense. Right. You know, hopefully we'll get into that on season two of Anne Just Like That. Enid giving her, uh, what are those, those at-home sauna suits for Carrie to sit in or something. I hope Enid has retired for her own sake. (laughs) For her mental health. Enid retired before she could be canceled Grace Coddington style. Well, Grace Coddington didn't really get canceled. She just has some racist cookie jars that happen to be in the background of a photo of her kitchen. So Miranda believes because her hips don't pop, I'm a guy? It's like, you're a tomboy. It's fine. Well, relatable. She's, you know, she says, I'll never be a girly girl. And that's what we like about her. That's also what we like about Samantha. Yeah, I guess it's, I don't know, Miranda's internalized misogyny that she can't be okay with who she is. So Charlotte's getting her portrait taken. This is like a scene out of an adaptation of a Mary Gateskill novel or something. I found this so transgressive and so hot. I yeah, forgot how so hot. hot. <laughs> so I was about hot. to say that. <laughs> it's so hot. I was like, I love this. 
I want more of this. And it's really fucking cool to me. So, okay. So Charlotte's in drag, right? And then, you know, they start fucking, basically. Well, first, she's like, I think I need a sock. Right. I just need to know, did Charlotte stay in character? Well, throughout this sexual encounter, like, does this guy like to be topped by drag kings? Is this like his fetish? Yeah, I never exactly went there. But the idea is that Charlotte empowered with a with a mustache now is a chick with balls, which I was like, ooh, this is getting into yeah. <laughs> it's a weird way to phrase it. Not great. Doesn't uh, age well, no. No. But she uh, has the chutzpah, let's say, to make the first move and kiss him. Yeah. No, then we'd veer into a Broad City episode where actually she learns that he likes to be pegged. And she's like, I'm fine with, like, fucking you a drag, but... That's a bridge too far for me. (laughs) Bear would have a a dildo molded to his ass shape. (laughs) Did we just talk about this? (laughs) For the Patreon episode about girls, we got into the Broad City episode where... Yeah. It's really good. So yeah, Samantha is yet again arguing with her assistant. I think we missed in one of these scenes, she is dressed like Maybelline's Great Lash mascara. Yes, and I've always loved the look of Maybelline Great Lash mascara, and I've always loved that Samantha outfit. And when I was designing the logo for the podcast, I used that colorway as a subtle homage to this outfit, so... There you go. Craziness. I love that Samantha has a moral line that I didn't know before because she fires her assistant because he is a terrible and abrasive to clients and people she works with. But she goes, the bad news is you're fired. The good news is I can fuck you now. And it's like, oh, okay. She she knows she can't fuck a subordinate. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that firing someone and then immediately <laughs> propositioning them is also illegal. Again, it's it's an issue that Michael Patrick King can no longer work with Kim Cattrall but loves Samantha so much because you could have fun with me tooing Samantha in the world of And Just Like That. For sure. <sighs> so Miranda comes yeah. home. Everything in her is freaking out because she absolutely does not <laughs> want Steve to move in with her. What's that trauma book, The Body Keeps Score? Her body is keeping score that she does not want to be with this man. Yeah. And this is also just great acting by Cynthia. I love it when she has these moments of vulnerability on the show. It's just she's so good at it. I make messes. I drop things. My sponges smell like shit. (laughs) I don't do my laundry for weeks on end. And if you live here, you're going to see that. Anyway, Um, Steve's fine with it. Who cares? There's like five more breakups between the two of them. (laughs) And then she leaves him. After all that, after six years of following these people together, or five years, he got introduced in season two. It's like, Steve, if only you just took a hint back in season three. (laughs) You and Debbie could be happily married by now. Oh, man. There's a brief interlude at Charlotte's apartment, which I completely forgot that she has the image that bear shot of her because in a couple episodes we're never in this apartment again and we never see that photo again yeah something tells me it didn't really vibe with buddy mcdougall's apartment again the writers are not listening to us if and and just like that but i would love if rock maybe found that photo could be a cool bonding experience or charlotte just like hangs it over rock's bed after she paints over the (laughs) 
Actually, in place of the Madam Alexander doll <laughs> she had to get rid of. <laughs> that would be perfect. So now we're at the uh, bisexual party. Again, Carrie always seems flabbergasted to be downtown going to parties where it's like, shouldn't this be where you're every night? Right. Everyone there is bisexual and everyone there has also dated each other. I have the breakdown. Do you want me to go through oh, it? Oh, yeah, sure. Grace once dated Brett and Brett used to live with Joel semi-platonically and you slept with Dawn before she was with Mark. They all seem like swingers. That's what Carrie is thrown by. And Polly. Yeah. Even though no one's actually Polly, it just like these people seem like they would be Polly. And uh, in this twisted and depraved bisexual underworld, plain spin the bottle is also normalized. I thought of you because I was like, what would you do if now in our 30s, someone at a party was like, let's play spin the bottle? No. Yeah. Absolutely no. Unless everyone's hot. <laughs> okay. Did you feel like uh, not everyone passed uh, the test? No, everyone was hot and looked vaguely like they could be in a CK1 campaign. But, you know. We haven't even gotten to the fact that Alanis Morissette is one of the party goers. Right. And this is Alanis Morissette, I guess, post-supposed former infatuation junkie. Yes. uh, The Thank You song. Yeah. The Thank You India song. (laughs) Had come out. She's at that phase in her career. She was just in Kevin Smith's follow-up to Chasing Amy Dogma, where she plays God. That was a terrible movie. God is a woman. And she's Alanis Morissette. (laughs) Is this a Patreon where I just force you to watch Kevin Smith films? Uh... They play spin the bottle and like two girls kiss and Carrie is like gets very uncomfortable. And then one of them's like, get a room. And someone else is like, get a dental dam. And it's like, I love that in this universe, like people actually use dental dams. Like that's actually a thing. So they spin the bottle. Carrie spins it reluctantly and it lands on Alanis Morissette to which she goes, whoops, it's a girl. I guess I'll try again. And she's like, no, it's cool. And then then Carrie's voiceover is like, well, like, I guess I was Alice in confused sexual orientation land, so I decided to just go down the rabbit hole. Another thing that we haven't gotten into that follows through is this idea of like, oh, I'm just too old to understand this or accept this. Because she's like, am I going to be an old fuddy-duddy or am I going to kiss Alanis Morissette? Like, kiss her. What? Yeah, who cares? I would kiss a woman during Spin the Bottle. Like, it's a Have kiss. you ever kissed a woman? Well, my father does listen to this podcast. Oh, my God. Have you? <laughs> and who? We can bleep out their name. I'm not going to tell you on the podcast. Oh, come on. Okay, have you ever dated a bisexual man? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what a great ally. Not a hint of biphobia. I mean, I was in art school, and I think he exclusively dates women now, but at the time he said he was a bisexual. Okay, well, that seems like rooted in biphobia. <laughs> of me? Yeah, because, you know, it doesn't matter who they end up dating. They're still bisexual. It doesn't really, like, negate their identity. Correct. I just want to know who this chick is that you made out with. <laughs> anyway, Alanis Morissette... <laughs> anyway, Alanis Morissette said she didn't enjoy this kiss. She said, I kissed Sarah Jessica Parker. I played a lesbian in Sex and the City, and I... Ha- First of all, Lannis, you played a bisexual, okay? 
That's very biphobic. Yeah. And I had to kiss her. I've experimented with same-sex relationships in my life, but it wasn't about enjoyment with Sarah Jessica. Her character was supposed to be reluctant about getting involved, so it wasn't a passionate kiss. It was a reticent one, which is the reason I didn't enjoy it. Okay, that's so fucking rude. <laughs> okay, A, you're not supposed to enjoy it because you're acting, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're, that's not supposed to be something that you're getting off on. Because right. that would be inappropriate and unprofessional. And then Alanis never acted after this again. <laughs> she was like, look, if I can't make out with women and they don't enjoy it, I don't want to be in this business. I'm going back to being a rock star. <sighs> I'm going back to being a chaotic, supposed former infatuation junkie, which I do think is a very um, telling album title as she later came out as a sex and love addict. Wow. So after the kiss, Carrie just Irish goodbyes them. She's like, I'm going to go out and get cigarettes and then never returns. Which is the joke about like dads leaving in the 1970s. He went out for cigarettes and never came back. (laughs) Is that what Carrie's dad did to her? We still don't know. (laughs) What happened to this man? Where is he? Yeah, it's quite rude. She could have just said that she had to go. Or, I mean, we've seen Carrie do this kind of thing before where she's like, I just can't. Look, I would be horrified if some guy brought me to a spin the bottle party too, but. (laughs) She's like, bisexuals I can handle, but junior high games I cannot. Yeah. So this was the article for the week. I guess I hope there was at least one angry letter to the editor. Carrie's article, I would imagine, isn't doing well this season because we already had the to pee or not to pee a couple episodes before. Right. How many Manolos are you giving this episode? Four. Really? You think it's that bad? Six. I'm giving it six and a half Manolos because... While it may be extremely biphobic, it is a reminder of how far we've come as a culture. And also, it's a great episode for Charlotte. Without the Charlotte storyline, it's a four. With Charlotte, it's a six. I agree with you. Yeah. All right, guys. Probably, well, next month we'll do a high Manolo episode. But I think to get a truly low Manolo episode, we're going to have to dive into season five. Or season one. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much. I'm now going to have to get grilled by Chelsea for the next hour of what woman I made out with <laughs> at some time in the past. And I'll be releasing the name on, <laughs> on our, the- our Instagram close friends list. <laughs> Bye, guys. Also, we apologize to any bisexuals we may have offended throughout the course of this episode. We love you guys. And sorry to my early college boyfriend for erasing your bi identity, evidently. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>